Burns and Gambo. Afternoons on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Not for nothing, as my friend Gambo would say, it's always funny to me that Devin Booker's 70-point game and Randy Johnson killing the bird share an anniversary. Do they really? Today is the anniversary of both. Same day Devin Booker dropped 70 on the Celtics is the same day that Randy killed the bird in spring training. I don't know why. It's like, oh, yeah, those two things, not all the same year, but those two things happen on the same day. I don't know why. That always that always gives not me. Not for uh, nothing. Not for nothing, as my friend Gambo would say. Uh, so, yeah, the big news of the day today, you heard it there in the update. Shams is reporting that Kevin Durant is progressing towards a potential return to action on Wednesday against Minnesota. There are three more games for the Suns to play before that game. Tonight against the Kings. Tomorrow against the Sixers, Monday against the Jazz, then presumably he's back. Upon his return, there would be seven games until the postseason starts. Will he play in all of them? There's a back-to-back in there. He's probably, probably not, not. going to miss one of those games, I would think. Hopefully, Can he stay healthy for all seven games? See, now that's, I mean, really, that's it. That's that's the question. That's the. Can he not re-aggravate any of these injuries? He's had a knee injury and a and a ankle injury this year. That is the question that nobody knows the answer to, and we're all just going to be collectively holding our breath to see every single time he's out there because this is just the risk of Kevin Durant. Hopefully, this also puts an end to the foul conversation, which has been uh, unfortunately due to circumstances, Gambo. It has been pervasive. It's been constant all week. Whether it was Oklahoma. City, you and I were talking about it Monday, both a little sick and tired of all the whining that was going on by the Phoenix Suns. Happened again on Wednesday with Devin Booker and, and Monty Williams and the 46 to 20 and all that stuff. Monty was fine. 20 grand. 20 large 20 today large, by yep. the NBA. There was, and I emailed it to you, a terrific in-depth, hardcore look at the Suns' free throw issues from Gerald Bourget of PHNX Sports. And I really took the time to go through it with a fine-tooth comb because there was a lot of really good stuff in there as to why exactly the Suns suffer from this free throw disparity. And Gerald even went so far as to review the tape of the Suns-Lakers game from Wednesday night and concluded that of the 31 fouls the Phoenix Suns were called for that day, 23 were completely, totally justified. Like, that's a foul. That's a foul. The other eight were, okay, kind of questionable, and refs are going to make mistakes. They're gonna, yeah. It's going to happen, but the 23 of them, they were fouls. Like it or not, love it or not, that's what's happening out there. I thought the interesting angle that I took out of this is that the, the when it says the free throw, free throw problem is nothing new. Look, this has been three years of the Suns being terrible as far as fouling and not getting to the free throw line. You've had three years to kind of try to fix this, and you haven't. So the complaining that we're hearing going on, I mean, you've had after the 2021 season, you could have tried to address the issues. Then after the 21-22 season, you could have addressed the issues. Here we are three years later, and the Suns are... Always around 28th, 29th in free throw attempts since in the last two years, 22nd and 30th in opponents free throw attempts and the year before that 15th. So this is an ongoing issue. This isn't like, Oh my God, this is new. The Suns don't get any calls. No, for three years, they haven't got any calls. No, they haven't. It, they've been this year. They're 28th in free throws attempted. Last year, they were 29th in free throws attempted. The year before, they were 29th in free throws attempted. Now to be totally fair to the Suns, they've won a lot of games and they've had a lot of success. 
not and the ultimate success. And that's why you don't complain so and, much. And that's why you don't yeah. go to change anything because, as Gerald points out in the story, Monty's really good at adapting his system to what he's got. And what he's had are a bunch of mid-range jump shooters. Okay, let's play to the strengths of our guys. What are our guys good at? Our guys are doing this, and let's do this. That style just does not lend itself to a lot of free-throw attempts. They haven't been good at it the last three years. They've been, as opposed to the opposition's free-throw attempts, yeah, they're 30th this year. They're one of the worst teams in the league at giving up them. Last year, they were 22nd. The year before, they were 15th. So they've always been lower half, second half in the NBA. Yeah, now it's really bad. Of that. This year, it's really, really bad, obviously. And I think a lot of that does have to do with the defense they're playing, with missing Mikel Bridges, with maybe reaching a little bit more, trying, you know, maybe a little more desperation defensively. Chris Paul getting older. Chris Paul getting a little Not bit. Not being he, an elite defender anymore. Defensively, he's really slipped. It's been really obvious to see, right? I'm a, I'm a big, you know, you know me, I like to point blame at somebody. And, uh, you know, in reading this, the, the guy that you would point the, the blame to more than anything else, I think, is DeAndre Aiden. I would agree. I mean, I think it's the the one hundred percent. I would kind of back it up. He just doesn't, you know, for a guy that's seven feet tall and plays the center position, he sure likes to settle on a lot of floaters and jump hooks and stuff like that, and not take the ball hard to the basket. Gerald writes, "Quote: Despite leading the NBA in paint." Touches per game. Aiton's 3.0 free throw attempts per game, 26th among all centers. He's been fouled on about 10% of his shot attempts, which ranks in the 28th percentile at his position. He's never had a season where he's averaged more than three free throw attempts per game. Now, I know he hasn't been out there these last couple of games. This has been going on without him. But if we're going to have a big, broad 30,000 foot view of what's wrong with the Suns and why do they not get enough free throw attempts? Man, we've been complaining about DeAndre Ayton not going to the line for years. It's just, he's the one guy on this roster outside of Devin Booker because Booker does go to the rim. He's the one guy because of his body and where he plays, he should be going to the line. He just doesn't play that kind of style and at a, all. And he's a good free throw shooter. Yeah. Like he's a, you know, that was one of the things coming out of college. Like, hey, he's a pretty good free throw shooter, but he's just not. He's not the aggressive center that you would want. He's not a beast around the basket um, type of things. I mean, he'll try to tip the ball in rather than, you know, grab it, come down with it, and go back up strong. And, I mean, we've seen this for years. I mean, he's a very talented, skilled player. There's a lot of skill to the Andre Ayton's game. I mean, it was a story we were talking about yesterday, like, uh, you know, the clutch, clutch minutes. Who's been their best player? It's kind of been DeAndre, hasn't it? Among shooting percentage. Among shooting percentage. He's, he's been good in, so like, in those late moments situations. Yeah. So he's been their best. Best in a late late moment situation, he's been their best player. But he, but that on so you can find positives and negatives with his game. The negative is clearly like he just should go to the free throw line more, and he doesn't. Hey, look, and there's a lot of numbers in here, and which isn't a bad thing, but it's just it's kind of fascinating to peel back the layers a little bit. There was one part that I really loved where he he points out that the Suns actually rank rank pardon me seventh in paint touches per game. Now you think to yourself, well, wait a minute, I thought they didn't drive the rim. I thought they don't get looks at the rim. They don't. They don't. Those seventh, you know, ranking seventh in paint touches per game, that's the paint. 
The paint is a big area, right? It's not at the rim. At the rim, they're terrible. And it doesn't mean that the ball is going to stay in the paint either once it gets there. And sometimes it's in the paint, but it's kicking back out to an open shooter or a three-pointer at the wing or something like that. As he points out, not all paint touches are created equal. The Suns are one of the worst teams in the NBA at shots at the rim. They're one of the best in the NBA at short mid-range shots. So, yeah, they're, they're, they're taking a lot of shots in the paint. They're not taking a lot of shots at the rim, which again, all of these all this data, all these numbers, the eye test confirms it. We've all been watching every single minute of Suns basketball for the last three years under Monty Williams. All of this sounds right. Right? All of this, yeah. you go, okay, yeah, that uh-huh. sounds about right. Yeah, that sounds about right. Why the complaining about it now? Because and, they're losing. And that's it. Last year they won. The year before they won. You didn't hear the complaints very often. You know, because what are you going to complain about? Hey, we didn't get as many foul calls. You won by 18. <laughs> right. I know. You know, it's yep. a lot easier to complain when you're losing a basketball game. Hey, we lost. You know what? They took 20 more free throws than we did. I thought one of the interesting things that was in the article was um, just the amount of times a team has gotten to the free throw line. 20 or more times. According to ESPN, the Suns have played six games this season where the opponent has taken at least 20 more free throws. In the last decade, that's only happened uh, That's only happened to the Orlando Magic more times to the Orlando Magic in 15-16 and the Atlanta Hawks in 18-19 and the 2014-15 next. So the Suns have played six games where the opponent has had 20 or more free throws. They're probably going to end up with the record because it happened to Orlando seven times in 15-16, Atlanta seven times in 18-19, and the Knicks eight times in 14-15. So they could end up, and if it happens again, they, you know, or two times, they end up tying the record. They could. Now, you know, the, the crux of this whole conversation, so Kevin Durant's coming back on Wednesday, hopefully. Does it change all of it? Does it fix all of it? I mean, Kevin Durant is is not exactly a rim runner either, right? I mean, okay, but if they win by 14 and they get out, and the team goes to the free throw line 15 more times, we even that was we, exactly the point I was going to make. Discussion? Who cares? Who cares? Right. If they win by 14, because Kevin Durant's back out there and the, the Lakers have 40 free throw attempts to their 25. So what? So what? So what if they get out? I mean, it does, it, it's, it's just, it's the gambo theory of there's always someone to blame. It's just in this case, the blame of why they gave up 46 free throw attempts and why they only had 20 just might be a little misassigned right, right. now, right? Like there's always someone to blame, but is this what's to blame? Are the referees see, what's to blame? You ever see somebody protest a win? You think Mark Cuban was would have protested that game if the Mavericks had won it at the no, end? No, I've never seen anybody hey, protest the win. I'm protesting this game. You guys won by three. I don't care. I'm protesting it anyway. You don't protest a win. You don't. You protest a loss. No, you don't. A baseball game. I'm going to pro. This game's under protest. Yeah. Why? Because we lost, and we lost because this happened. Nobody protests a game that they win. Doesn't happen. Yeah, no, it doesn't. When we come back on the Burns and Gamble Show, first, let me remind you, because this is a big one, Rock and Roll Hall of Famers, Billy Joel, Stevie Nicks, they're both heading to Chase Field for one night only on December 8th. Tickets are already on sale. You should. I've already got my tickets. I'm very excited about it. They're already on sale. You can win a pair of tickets now by visiting the contest page at ArizonaSports.com. A multi, multi round mock draft that addresses all sorts of needs, and as usual, we're just as interested in in the positions as we are the players. That's next. Burns and Gambo. Burns and Gambo. Arizona.
Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Not one, not two, not three. I feel like LeBron when he went to Miami. Not one, not two, not three, not four. Uh, it actually is four. Four-round mock draft. Four-round mock draft. That's ambitious. Mm. Very, very ambitious. ambitious. It, really, it really is. You got a lot of time on your hands. <laughs> What's that song? Too much time, Too much time on, on my hands. hands. Sticks, right? On that sticks. sticks. Yeah. yeah, I believe that's it. Yeah, good song. Um, this is from Chad Reuter, who is with NFL.com. He's kind of one of the ones I would put in more of the upper-tier mock drafters. I always, I always look at his stuff a little mm. bit more than maybe some of the others do because he throws a lot of them out there. Imagine his wife like, hey, how do you want to go out to dinner? I'm working on the second round right now. <laughs> well, I'm at breakfast tomorrow morning. Third round. Yeah, you know, well, well, okay. Says the guy taking notes in his notebook of a game in the fourth quarter that's a 30-point game. I go, no, honey, no, I can't talk right now. The Suns are up by 35 points. I got to jot down every single play that happens in this fourth quarter. I commit myself to a, to a certain amount of time. When the game ends, the game ends. I'm done taking notes at that time. Okay. But to commit yourself to a four-round mock draft, you got to lock yourself in a room for Black, a long time. Pot, kettle, Oh Hi. man, How you doing? I'm Gambo. Nice Cooking, Bernsey. <laughs> Seriously, you know how long it takes to do a four-round mock draft? Honestly, do you know how long it takes to... Fa- how many notebooks do you have in that backpack of your right now. How many? Okay, right? And how much of that information is from when games have already been decided and they're done and yet you still continue to take copious notes? A few. Okay, I'm just saying. I'd like to see who comes into the games at certain times. (laughs) You know, I'm... uh, I'm fascinated by substitution if, patterns. If you're gonna offense re- for defense, you're defense for offense. Chad for doing a four-round mock, I'm going to take some shots at you for taking notes during right. a 30-point right. game in the fourth quarter. Okay. That's all I'm going to say. I'm just okay. going to do that. That's, that's the rules of being on the Burns and Gamble show. I have show. to write stuff down so I can remember it. See, now, if you had just said that from the outset, like, that would I have just, explained all of it. It helps me remember things. Mm-hmm. Right, because you're very forgetful. Yeah. All right, so four-round mock. You ready for this? Let's Here go. Here we go. All right, we, again, we're more interested in the positions and what it sort of says about how people interpret what the Cardinals need and what they're looking to address. First round, par for the course. He's got the Cardinals moving down one spot with the Colts, taking Will Anderson, the edge rusher out of Alabama. Right? Makes, a, makes the most sense. I mean, it is a... You know, big time player who can absolutely, you know, help your franchise for many, many years. I think everybody that is having the Suns pick at three, that's the direction they're going. All right. Um, I'd play his draft profile. We've played it quite a few times. Uh, we, I, I hope by now we both know that Sarah Cazell voiced it. Yes. So it was Sarah doing the Will Anderson draft profile. First pick, round two. He's got the Arizona Cardinals taking. Quinton Johnson, wide receiver out of TCU. Okay, really don't like it. Now, if you trade DeAndre Hopkins and you're down to Hollywood Brown, then I mean, I, I could understand. Like, we've got to get. We, then you do need help at wide receiver. Right now, you know, you can make an argument that they should really work on the offensive and defensive lines and get receivers at a different spot. Because you know, I'd rather get a. I, I think there's a better chance that you could get a wide receiver in the fourth or fifth round that. Can can help you than there is that you can get an offensive or defensive lineman in the fourth or fifth round that yeah, can help it, you. It does seem a little skill position, you know, like like I, I get it, you need them, but I, I don't know, maybe I'm just a little burned on all the, 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 the inventory they've used to get wide receivers the last couple of years. Got a draft profile for Quentin Johnson. Uh, it's with the old crew. Sarah, 
Eric, Aaron, or Mitch? Sarah, Eric, Aaron, or Mitch? Who's, who's, who's chose, uh, who won the last one? I think it's mine, actually. Okay, go ahead. I'm going to say Aaron Maloney. I'll go Eric. Quentin Johnston, wide receiver, TCU. Did you see that touchdown catch Johnston uh, made in the Fiesta Bowl? Not just the catch itself, but the 76 yards he covered on the ground. That single moment captures most of what Johnston has to offer for NFL teams. He has the height, he has the agility, but most importantly, he has the speed. He collected over 1,000 yards this past season and six scores as he helped the Horn Frogs go all the way to the national championship. The knock on Johnston would be his inconsistency catching passes, using his body more than his hands, something teams will surely consider when Johnston reaches the top of draft boards. NFL comp, former Bears and Eagles wide receiver, Alshon Jeffrey. Hmm. Okay, that was obviously Mitch, so we were both wrong on that one. Uh, so you don't you don't like a wide receiver with the first pick in the second? No, round. I think I, I mean I don't mind a wide receiver in the draft. I really don't mind a wide receiver in the draft, but I think that the, you 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 got to address the offensive and defensive lines, especially if you're in a rebuild. I'd rather go get that wide receiver next year or in free agency next year or later in the draft. I I'm just saying there's a better chance that. That you can get a wide receiver later in the draft that can help than you can an offensive lineman. So I'd rather do an offensive lineman or defensive lineman in the in the early rounds. Third round pick. The run on TCU players continues. Steve Avila, guard out of Texas Christian University. Well, as long as it's not Alex Avila, I think we're okay with this. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm like I think that's where you go. You got to get some offensive line help. I mean, nothing wrong with a guard right there. Um, so that's a good pick, right? You start to look at um, you know first, second, and third rounds, and trying to get impact players that could come in and and be a part of a rotation on the offensive and defensive lines, and that's what you would get if you made that pick for Avila. All right, I got a draft profile for him too. Oh, we do. Oh, I'll let you go first on this one. I, yeah, new crew or old crew? old crew? Sarah Cazell, Eric Ruby, Aaron Maloney, or Mitch. I'm going to stick with Eric. You're going to stick with Eric. I'm going to try to get. I'm going to. I'm going to ride Eric till I get one right here. I'm going to stick with Aaron. Steve Avila, guard, TCU. A three-year starter in which he played center, right tackle, right guard, and in his final season left guard, Avila brings power, athleticism, and versatility to the offensive line. He has a dense frame capable of absorbing contact and plays with good body control at 6'3", 330. He does still need to work on recognizing coverages, steadying his hands, and being a little too tall at the point of attack, but Avila proved to be a stalwart for the horn frogs. That means he did not allow a single sack in his 515 snaps his final season. NFL comparison, two-time Super Bowl champ Chris Kimoiatu. That's solid. That's so, solid. Sometimes the jam behind the words takes I like I get distracted with what he's saying. You know, cuz I'm I'm like dun 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 dun. Dun, 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 I can't dun, ignore dun. that riff from No I, Doubt. It's no, too seriously, good. no. It's like that's such a good riff. It's like oh, I'm sorry, Eric. What did you say? Huh? <laughs> he said he hasn't given up a sack in 500 snaps. I was too busy riffing out with No Doubt. Is that what he said? Yes. Oh, well, that's imp- that's damn impressive. Hasn't given up a sack. That's impressive. I, I'm impre- yeah. I'm kidding. I was listening. But well, that's a good spot know, right there to go spot. get. All right, then with their next pick, 79 overall. The run on TCU players continues. What's going on here? Kendra Miller, running back, TCU. So Quinn Johnson, Steve Avila, Kendra Miller, all TCU going second round, third round, third round. Bang, bang, bang. It's crazy. I don't mind a running back in the fourth round. I don't at all. 
That, to me, is where you take one so that when James Conner, next year when he's not on this roster, and you're looking to replace him with somebody cheap and good, you just slide Miller or somebody like that right in there. I only do that if I don't think that, the, that Keontae Ingram is capable of handling the load. Because I did you know, use a draft pick on Keontae Ingram last year. It was a sixth-round pick, but I've got to believe that he's not the guy. And if I don't believe he's the guy, then okay, I'm okay with taking a running back there. All right, so then they project a trade in the third and okay, fourth is round. This, hop- this has to be the Hopkins trade then, right? Does it? Uh, yes, it would. trade with Kansas City. Unless they've got the Cardinals. I, I'm only looking at the screenshot of the picks, so I, I don't know if he said it in the link. But I would, I, I would assume that you're probably right. He's projecting a trade with Kansas City for DeAndre okay. Hopkins. He has Q Blue Kelly, corner from Stanford. Then with pick 105, defensive tackle Zach Pickens out of South Carolina. And then with pick 106, Catrell Clark, a corner out of Louisville. So the four-round mock, he's got the Cardinals making six picks. Wide receiver, guard, running back, corner, defensive tackle, corner. So two corners at pick number 96 and 106. Two cornerbacks, which they need help. I mean, they come out of this draft with two cornerbacks. Nobody's going to fault that. They need, you know, d- despite what Marco Wilson says, they need cornerback help. <laughs> yeah, he cannot do it on him on his own. Cover the entire opposing team. Texas, your thoughts at the FanDuel text line six twenty six twenty right now. The struggles that the Golden State Warriors have had on the road this year, they're similar to a team that. Some of you long, long time listeners might be familiar with. That's next on the Burns and Gambo Show. Burns and Gambo, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. This one that we're about to talk about here on the Burns and Gambo Show is we welcome you into this Friday. Uh, this is what I consider to be a really good find by you. I like this. I, I saw the story in the email. This is good. And not just because it references a son's team from my childhood. Okay, not just right. because of that. And it does. And it does. Um, but it, because it's possible, maybe even likely, that the Suns and the Golden State Warriors will meet in the playoffs. Now, we don't know for sure. Everything's bunched up real, real tight in the West, right? Yes. But there's a, at least a possibility and maybe even an anticipation that it's going to be Suns-Warriors, possibly even in the first round. And if so, it would be just a really strange first-round matchup because of Kevin Durant, because of how much time he's missed, because of the Warriors. They're the defending champs. Uh, largely, everybody thought these two teams were going to meet last year in the playoffs. They didn't. We were robbed of all of that, and also because of the Warriors and how historically god-awful they've been on the road this year. They have a worse road record than the Charlotte Hornets do. Worse. The Charlotte Hornets have 11 wins on the road. The Warriors are 9-29. and And the story was fantastic. Can the Warriors overcome bad road record in the playoffs? And there's a, definitely a Suns angle here for you longtime Suns fans. So uh, we'll get to that in a second. You'll get a kick out of it. But can the Warriors overcome this bad road record in the playoffs? And it talks about, you know, Curry and Clay and Wiggins and Draymond and Looney have only played in 27 games together and not since February 4th, but they're only 14 and 13 in those games, but it says the record with Curry breaks down to 17 and 4 at home and 7 and 20 on the road. Let me say that again. 17 and 4 at home 
and 7-20 and 20 on the road. And it just says, listen, the best that they could do is finish 12-29. and 29, And it just talks about the history of teams that have really been bad on the road and how they struggle when they do get to the playoffs. Yeah, the, the, you mentioned the best road record they can finish with is 12-29. and 29. Um, In the history of the NBA, there have been 36 teams that have reached the playoffs while winning fewer than 30% of their road games. Um, only three of the last 36, this is how rare this is, okay? Only three of the 36 instances have been in the last 30 years, okay? So it really hasn't happened a lot recently. It was the Hawks in 08. It was the Warriors in 07, the last time in the last 30 years. And it was years. the lockout, which doesn't really, shouldn't really count. Yeah, and the lockout, which shouldn't really count at all. Um, <laughs> it, it's There's not a lot of success here when it comes, only six of all of these 36 teams that ever made the playoffs with this bad of a road losing record, only six actually won a series. So take all 36 teams in the history of the NBA that got into the playoffs with this bad of a road record. Only six actually won a series, and only one of those and six. And here comes your son's angle. Only one of those six won two playoff series. The 1983-84 Phoenix Suns. Coached by John McLeod. They finished 41 and 41, but they were a terrible road team. They played at the Arizona Veterans Memorial Coliseum. The Madhouse on McDowell, baby. That roster was Walter Davis. Yep. Alvin Adams. Yep. James Edwards, uh, James Edwards, Maurice Lucas, Kyle Macy, Larry Nance, Ricky Roby, Mike Sanders, Paul Westfall. An older Paul Westfall at that point. Alvin yes. Scott. Like, that was your Phoenix Suns. They won. They were a terrible road team. They won a series against the Blazers, and they won a series against the Jazz. They got to the Western Conference Finals before they lost to the Lakers. I was fascinated by the Suns' angle. As a part of it, it says the Suns are the only team to win more than one playoff series after winning fewer than 30% of their road games in the regular season. Yeah. And that's the mark. How many teams have made the playoffs winning fewer than 30% of their road games? There's only been a few. The Suns were one of those teams, and they did it that season. The Suns were the sixth seed. They were 10 and 31 on the road. Mm-hmm. 10 and 31. I don't remember that. I don't remember that. They beat the Blazers in the first round. They actually won two road games in Portland. Then they beat the Jazz in the conference semifinals. They actually won game two in Utah. So a terrible road team makes the playoffs. The Suns are the example of how far a team would have. That's the furthest a team that can't win on the road has gone in the playoffs yeah, ever. And I, look, personally, I was a kid. I was 12, 13 when that team. Oh, that's prime time was memories the, oh, right oh, there. Absolutely. And, and uh, you know, Walter Davis was the man. Alvin Adams was the man. I was still reeling from the trade of Dennis Johnson for, for Roby, which broke my heart back in the day. Um, I, I don't, I, I don't remember specific details of that season. I do remember the Western Conference Finals lost to the LA Lakers because that was like peak Lakers. That was magic worthy Kareem, everybody at their best. That was the, the Laker franchise really flexing at that moment with the things that they were doing. So now let's fast forward to 2023 and okay, what does it mean? It means that the Warriors, if they're to even win a singular playoff series being this bad, they'd be an exceptionally rare company. And yet, I look to a story like this, and I think it's going to make me feel better. I look at a story like this, and I think, oh, yeah, the history is so against the Golden State Warriors being this bad on the road. This story doesn't make me feel any better. You know that? Yeah. This story, I still 
really fear and respect the Golden State Warriors come playoff time, despite how bad they've been on the road, because of Steph, because of Clay, because of Steve, because of Draymond, because of there, there's so much history of success there. I, I don't know about you. I find it really difficult to believe that, oh, come playoff time, they're trash, they're garbage, they were so bad on the road. I'm fearful they're going to find a way come playoff time. Well, they could point to the 83-84 Suns. They could. And say, look at that team. They were terrible on the road. One less than 30, one less than 30% of their road games and had success. But it is, it, I mean, it does paint the picture that it's very difficult to do. Do you, fear, very, do you fear the Warriors? Sure, of course I do. Yeah, of course I do. I mean, right now, like, if you would have asked me before the Paul George injury, my biggest fear would have been the Clippers with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard healthy. That would have been my biggest fear. Second is the Warriors. Third would might be third would probably be the Mavericks. When you start to look at who they could play, I'm taking Sacramento, Memphis, and Denver out. They're not playing any of those teams. So you start to look at who they could play. I would have said Clippers one, Golden State two, Dallas three. Now I kind of reversed that. I think Golden State won the Clippers too without Paul George right now, and we don't know for sure. It's not going to have surgery, but um, but he's hurt. So I would say Golden State probably would be the team that you fear the most. They could play Sacramento if they fall to six in the first round. They could. Kevin Durant's coming back Wednesday. Yeah, I don't yeah. think they fall to six. You don't think but they that, fall to six? I don't think so. No. Okay, I, I'll keep that open as a possibility, at least in my own mind, that they they could end up being six and they'd play Sacramento in three. I I think more likely than not, you're probably right. They're going to end up somewhere in that four. But five you're right. Matchup. I shouldn't rule that out. I, yeah, I, I don't know out. if I'd completely rule that out. But I also wouldn't and say Sacramento's that, battling with Memphis for two and three, so it could be either one of those. It could teams. be Memphis possibly that you play at three. Who would I, you rather play, Memphis or Sacramento? Um. Boy, this might be a hot take. I think I'd rather play Memphis. I think. I think I'd rather play Sacramento. But it's close. It's close, yeah. It's really close. Mm -hmm. I agree. You know, just because Memphis... Not a, they've got experience, but not success. There's no real rich history of success for the Memphis Grizzlies in the postseason. Whereas the Kings, yeah, they have no experience, and most might favor them because of that. But they're they're spunky, man. And I, that's kind of a weird use word to describe them. But they've they've got. They got some dudes who can play, and and I've overlooked them all year long, and so there's something about Memphis that I just don't know. Come playoff time, if they're if they're good enough, because they haven't been good enough in the past with largely the same cast that they've got right now. Right, I, I it's close. It is close. It is close. I still think more than likely you're four or you're five if you're the Phoenix Suns, but we'll say yeah. Text us your thoughts on the FanDuel text line. You can text us at 620-620. also do want to remind you, the news that we learned about a week ago today, legendary voice of the Suns, Al McCoy, he's announced his retirement, and we'd love to hear from you. Text the word Al to 620-620. Submit a video saying goodbye and thanking Al. We might even play it on the air. Text the word Al to 620-620 and get in on that because we all want to wish Al the very best as he rides off into retirement. When we come back, the very best move the Arizona Cardinals have made this offseason. Right, think about that one for a second. It might have been a subtraction. You've probably almost completely overlooked it by now. That's next on the Burns and Gambo Show. Burns and Gambo. Afternoons on Arizona Sports. The local sports leader. 
kind of related to what we're going to talk about here as we welcome you back on this Friday on Bernstein Cambo. Did you see the comments made by Kevin Demoff, the chief operating officer of the L.A. Rams? No. Okay. This I is, did not see the comments. Okay, well, no. This, I think this is what you're looking for from the Arizona Cardinals. I think this is exactly what you're looking for okay. from the Arizona Cardinals. Um, Demoff explaining the team's approach and focus both on the future, short and long term, in a letter sent to season ticket holders on Friday. Quote, we always knew that there would be a time when we would have to pull back on our typical approach to help continue our sustained run of success. Success In the past, when we traded for younger Pro Bowl players who would command new contracts, Sammy Watkins, Marcus Peters, Brandon Cooks, we had the long-term salary cap flexibility to take on those new contracts. If we wanted to acquire short-term players, we had the extra draft capital to do so to help us make a Super Bowl push. Um he, it, I'm sorry, I, I jumped into the wrong part of the letter. But basically what he says is that this is now not the time for them to go all in in the pursuit of another championship. It is time for a retool. It is time for a reboot. He sent a letter to the Rams season ticket holders in which he said, it's, it's time for us to kind of hit the reset button a little bit with the organization. Now, I, I read this. Now, I'm reading it, too. Here's what I like about it. Can I jump in here? Please do, yeah. We've taken all of our salary cap pain in 2023 and project out more than $60 in space in 2024. The most salary cap space we have had since our move to Los Angeles. This is genius. Yep. It's genius. Now, he's got the power to do this because he's got a Super Bowl championship trophy that's barely a year old. Got a Super Bowl ring. Right. I mean, so he can he can Mm -hmm. it's a lot easier for the Rams to send a letter like this to their season ticket holders than it is for a team that's never won a Super Bowl. But you understand where I'm kind of getting at here. You and I all week long have been trying to decipher what the Cardinals are doing. What's their plan? What's their approach to free agency? Yes. Yes. Okay. I I came across a story today on ESPN NFL.com, in which it kind of uh, looked at the free agency approach for every team in the NFL. And the Rams are basically in the same category as the Cardinals. Kind of like, man, they haven't done haven't anything. Done anything. No. They haven't done anything. Here's the Rams explaining why we haven't done anything. And it's not Here, a lot to ask for. I mean, I don't, really don't think it is. I, mean, I think this is the right thing to do. You know, he says, let me be clear, our goal for 2023 is to win the NFC West, make a deep playoff run. Change doesn't mean you expect to take a step back. But it does say we have 11 draft pick this year, three in the top 77. We've got all our picks next year, capitals to make trades, and he's just saying, we're in a tough spot salary cap-wise, we really can't add players, you're looking at us, we're not doing anything, you're asking, why aren't we doing anything? Here's why we're not doing anything. We're looking at the Arizona Cardinals, they're not doing anything. They're signing a bunch of garbage. And we're sitting there, why, why, why? I mean, they see the Cardinals have 20-something million dollars in cap space. I don't think it's that much to have Michael Bidwell or somebody in the organization kind of lay out a plan and say, hey, this is where we're at. We haven't been as active in free agency, and here's why. We're trying to save up as much cap space as we can. We think next year is going to be much greater. We're trying to get acquire as many assets. Like, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Like, you should say that. A lot of organizations will kind of let you know because then if you don't say anything then you're constantly getting guests people are constantly criticizing you they're calling you cheap they're 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 knocking the organization left and right because you stay quiet it's not the right thing to do quote as a result we faced a choice this offseason we could once again restructure contracts to give ourselves one last shot with our core roster but that would mean a total rebuild would be necessary over the next few seasons or we could focus on replenishing 
increasing our draft capital and improving our long-term salary cap situation, clearing the way for us to compete both now and in the future. Collectively, as an organization, we chose the latter path, close okay. quote. Now, you're and, a fan. Like, okay, I get it. I get it. Yeah. I, I get now, it. Now, here's Thanks for explaining it to and, me. And, and, and we talked about this. I don't. I think I know what the Cardinals are doing. I don't know if I need a letter to explain it, but now a precedent has been set. Here's an organization, again, one that's got a Super Bowl trophy that's barely a year old, but they're sending a letter to their team, kind of, hey, just so you all know, this is sort of what we're doing. I think I know what the Cardinals' plan is this offseason, but for those who don't know or don't understand or would like to have it explained to them or would like to see the path and to have kind of it spelled out for them, this might be a guide to how to handle what is looking like a rebuild year for the Arizona Cardinals. Open invitation for Michael to come on the show anytime he wants and just kind of explain, you know, what is the plan? What is the plan? What's the plan for this year? What's the plan for next year? And if it's to acquire assets and and cap space, for the future, I'm on board with the plan. Okay, I'm not going to knock it. I'm not going to knock it. I'd love to have Michael Bidwell on the show. Michael, hey, our plan, honestly, is we're going to try to acquire as many draft picks as we can over the next couple of years. We're going to try to get to a point where we have a lot of cap space where we can make a, a big... Okay, fine. And if you got to take it on the chin this year, you take it on the chin. And I'm okay with that. You're a big action, speak louder than words. And yes, their actions speak very loud. But I don't think it's wrong that somebody in that organization should kind of point out that, hey, you know, this is why we've been very inactive this year. Because people are criticizing them. No doubt. No doubt. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But I, I just I wanted to bring that up because here's an organization kind of getting out in front of their own inactivity to explain why they're being inactive. All right. Back to what we promised that we would talk about. And in some ways, it's kind of related. Um, uh, we were perusing through the Internet looking for stuff to talk about today. And I think you found this, if I'm not mistaken, on BleacherReport.com. Yeah, yeah. And the, the story was basically one of what is the best move that every team made this offseason. What is the best thing that every team did? this offseason. For the Arizona Cardinals, it came down to subtracting Cliff Kingsbury. That's their best move <laughs> That's the best move they've made. It's the best move they've made this offseason. Yeah, I think a lot of people would agree with that. Hey, what's the best move the Cardinals made? They got rid of Cliff. You know? And, you know, Cliff tried, but... Um, you know, they, they moved on. They hired Jonathan Gannon. Cliff, it didn't work out. The offense didn't work out. Cliff put a lot of time into it. Michael Bidwell even said he was always the first one here and last to leave. But it didn't work, and the fans needed a change, and, and the Cardinals needed a change. So Cliff is gone. Probably take a year off and then reevaluate where he is. But, yes, so far that's the best move they've made. Every team's smartest 2023 offseason decision so far. I, I would expand it. I wouldn't make it just about Cliff. I, I would make it about Cliff and Steve. And just the complete, total change the organization needed. And going outside and getting outside voices to do it. Now, whether you're a fan of Monty Austin Ford, if you're listening right now, that's up to you. Whether you're a fan of the Jonathan Gannon hire, that's up to you. There, you know, there are certainly reasons where you might question those hires, given what else was available and the way the process went and how long it took. I get all of that stuff. But if we're looking at this from 30,000 feet, I will always appreciate and and like the fact that rather than hiring internal, rather than just giving the job to Adrian Wilson or giving the job to Vance Joseph or keeping it in-house, which has been so the way over there for so long, they went outside and brought in a voice from an organization that's had a lot of success. Brought in a coach from an organization that's had a lot of success. Whether they were the right hires, whether they should have spent more to get better, bigger guys, we can debate that till the cows come home. But at the end of the day, for me... 
one of the important factors is that they got voices from outside the organization and brought them in. So while, yes. for me, it's not just Cliff. It's Cliff and Steve and the complete organizational reset that had to happen and, with and this team. I agree with you. It had to be all-encompassing. All it couldn't be like bits and pieces here and there. You had to you had to make wholesale changes across that organization, and no, they no. did that. When we come back on the Burns and Gambo show, the madness is back underway. Is there any way tonight can live up to last night? We'll see. Wrapping up the Sweet 16, we'll catch you up on the games in action and much, much more next on the Burns and Gambo show.